Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Birak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Malte Bedürftig. Welcome. Hey, Rainer. Very good to be here. Thanks. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and to those who have been great founders in the past or work closely with a whole environment. And we ask them the same set of questions in the domains that we think matter tremendously for building successful companies. And these domains are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Malte, who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? I am one of two founders um, of Join Impact. And Join Impact helps people to take an active role in society. And we help people actually to do that in in different ways. So it can be through volunteering, through activism, through sustainable consumption, and uh, through community building, or also uh, through entrepreneurship. And Join Impact is actually an umbrella of six uh, different impact ventures that I started uh, together with my co-founder over the past uh, seven years. So each company, one at a time. Um, yeah, so I guess what motivates you, if, if that's the question, like, why do I do what I do? Mm -hmm. I would say, as a person, I'm I'm an optimist, so I, I believe in, in people and I believe in, in, in their ability uh, to really change things for the better. And I also believe in um, the power of diversity, so that people are different. And this is very, that's great, because it, it means that there are uh, unlimited ideas, skills, and motivation in different ways how you can create positive impact. And that's really something that we want to leverage with Join Impact and with the six different impact ventures um, that we are driving. Can you give one or two examples of these companies? Uh, there are, I assume there are some that are more known and some that are less known. What, mm -hmm. what, what will the audience know? Yeah, so um, the first one actually is uh, it's Go Volunteer. It's a marketplace mm -hmm. for for volunteering opportunities. It was actually also the first company that I started uh, based on my own experience as a volunteer in 2015 during the refugee crisis, mm -hmm. and that helps people to find volunteering opportunities. Uh, we also have a, something quite similar. It's Go Nature, a community for nature conservation, and. Um, yeah, Hautfarben is actually um, a company that maybe uh, some people have seen our product. Uh, it's an e-commerce business for diversity-conscious toys and for stationery for children. And in the center of this, it's actually our flagship product is a set of um, uh, 12 uh, skin tone uh, pencils. So uh -huh. bringing uh, across the message that there's not like one uh, skin color, which we often associate with pink, but there's uh -huh. a diverse spectrum. Cool. Thank you very much. So um, when we later talk about target groups, we will look at that out of the perspective of the companies that you have there in your uh, six company portfolio. So that would be classic uh, B2C or I guess sometimes also direct to consumer. If you, I don't know, a volunteer is not a consumer, but it's basically you as a company, you approach people who are then basically using more or less your platform. So that, that is the logic we will be in. Not, mm -hmm. not B2B business, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's mostly, um, or it's actually all uh, B2C. People. If you would start a company today, 
which you do quite a lot. Um, what would be your first five hires? Um, yeah, I, I have to say that in the beginning, it's not only hires, but it's also non-hires uh, that can be very <laughs> important. And that, of course, is, uh, this includes co-founders, but it can also include uh, external ad experts. And what I mean with that is, um, in general, of course, it would be great to have the top designer, the genius developer, uh, the perfect sales expert and everyone uh, from, from day one. Um, but uh, the resources are typically very limited in the beginning. Um, so you cannot always pay for all these top hires. Um, so in my experience, it, it makes sense to have a good network also of external experts um, that you can leverage for key topics. And then if it comes to the actual in-house hires, um, so answering your question, I mm -hmm. think for me that would be, uh, yeah, really great project managers, more generalists uh, that know how to build uh, scalable operations and that know how to find these experts, uh, so the right people for any task. Yeah. And is this what you typically see as the first five hires in your companies or also outside? Mm, um I, I, I strived um, to achieve that, but it didn't always happen. But uh, so there's always a bit of, of a, an element of luck also in it uh, with the first hires because it's a very small group. Um, but I have to say, I found like a bunch of very motivated people and that very often unexpectedly um, had brought some pretty crucial skills to the table. And some of them started out like, very junior because I also didn't have a lot of money to pay them, uh, some as interns, and that they, they are now still um, key members of the management team. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the hardest to hire today? Um, yeah, currently, I think it's very good sales managers and operations managers for us. Mm -hmm. We're getting back to the sales topic later because that yeah. is actually seen as quite a, quite a tough one in our industry. Mm -hmm. um, in your companies, do you measure employee satisfaction? And if yes, how do you do that? Um, yes, we do that continuously. And we do that typically through a combination of um, three different methods. So on the one end, it's um, surveys, feedback surveys, then also very important one-on-ones um, where you really create an, an atmosphere of trust so that people can really share how they feel at work. And um, I think the third way, a um, bit more indirect, is um, community activities. So if you create opportunities uh, to mix and mingle, that's, of course, it's a way to have a good time together, but it's also an important way uh, where people can share how things are going in an informal context. So it's, I think it's... Uh, necessary to create these opportunities and uh, to participate in, in them. Mm -hmm. How about uh, employee performance? Any way of measuring these? Yeah, we have, we have a feedback model um, that is rooted in our values and in the key, what we see as a key success drivers for our organization. And there we track performance uh, along five dimensions. Um, those are entrepreneurship, people leadership, thought leadership, communication, and professional behavior. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, then in a, a typical um, 
development talk, we give every employee an indication where they, uh, she stands on each of these uh, dimensions, illustrating that through um, concrete examples and try to find, jointly find a, a plan for the next development goals. And we support that also um, through uh, situation-based coaching that can really help achieve these goals. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite type of org chart? How do you like organizations to be structured? <laughs> uh, yeah, so org charts, I don't know if org charts are anyone's favorite. Um, but <laughs> so I, I think in general, the answer should be as organizations should be as, as little structured as possible and as much as necessary. Um, that's, of course, it's easier said than done. But uh, there are a bunch of tools that are pretty useful. Um, so like OKRs, cross-functional teams, and Agile. Um, and uh, I think, so coming back to the org charts, so there should not be too many levels, but I, mm -hmm. I would uh, use these tools uh, to ensure a basic structure, um, also a degree of accountability, but still mm -hmm. create enough uh, freedom for uh, entrepreneurship and innovation. Mm -hmm. What's your approach to culture? Um, at Join Impact, I would say there are like two key ingredients that um, are important for our culture. And those are a common goal and a mutual respect. And with a common goal, I mean, I mean, we are purpose-driven company, so we all mm -hmm. strive to change something and to create impact, and that's something that really unites us and gives us culture. Mm -hmm. And it's also something that um, is pretty good to remember if you have uh, some situations of, of conflict. So we can always, we might differ in, in, in Uh, competing for the best solution, but we can always uh, come back to this common ground that we want to achieve the same thing to do something good. And that, I mean, should also be reflected in, in the way how we work together. So in, in, in an element of mutual respect, which for me is based um, uh, on a certain degree of modesty, meaning that mm -hmm. no one's opinions should be more valuable um, than someone else's opinions. It's an interesting. It's an interesting thing that we see here in in this podcast series that um, those company who are very strongly purpose driven, the culture is built uh, out of itself because because the purpose actually defines the culture and gives direction, while the other companies really have to do a lot more work on that topic in order to build a culture that yeah that is grounded in it can be grounded in in different other things, but it has to be grounded it has to be built really as an active as a much more active process. Yeah. Interesting. Are you and your companies remote first or office first? Um, at the moment, a lot of things happen remotely, but in general, when we talk about like the, the first stage of a company or of a venture, um, I would say, I, or I personally, I prefer office first um, for the early core team um, because it's not, There, it's not only about dividing the task uh, um, among each other, but it's also about um, sharing moments together. And that gives it energy, especially in the beginning. But what I said uh, before about um, um, the global network of experts, that's something where you should really be remote first. And yeah. the wider you reach, the better. Tech. 
would you call your companies tech companies? Partly yes. So Go Volunteer, Go Nature, and also our newest venture, Nature Meet, um, they are all some kind of digital marketplaces. So there we do continuously develop new technologies that address like very specific challenges in our areas. So for example, that is uh, matching um, young, very spontaneous volunteers with large traditional um, charities and for that uh, new technology is needed. And in other areas like Outfarm is an e-commerce company and Nachwerk is a co-working community that, that leverages digital technology, but the product in its core is actually very non yeah. Okay. Um, in the more tech companies, um, you usually have obviously a product team or product managers and tech people. Mm -hmm. uh, is any of them in the lead of the overall tech process? Um, yeah, I would say that this overall tech process, it's, it's like a never-ending feedback loop. So mm -hmm. you, as you do it, you start out with a product vision, then you uh, boil it down to an MVP, you build it, you test it with customers, then you update the vision and do it again and again. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's an interplay of the both. And yeah, if anyone is in the lead, it should be the customer, actually. Uh -huh. Which is usually product is usually closer to, to yeah. the customer, right? Okay. And who in 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 uh, in your company and in your companies, um, who's these, who's taking the final decision of what to develop next? Mm, it depends then uh, on what scale we are talking about. So if it's about uh, what features to include in in the next sprint, then that should be decided by the. By the dev team um, based on the estimations and on the prioritization that we have and but if it's more on a higher level on a strategic level which products and services um, to offer should be decided by top management but not without uh, consulting uh, the dev team and and with of course you should analyze any customer data that you can get your hands on uh, to take this decision what's your take about product-led growth? Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's uh, really the holy grail of what you can achieve because uh, it can give you the opportunity to focus on what you actually want to achieve. Um, mm -hmm. and that's a great product for your customer. And um, so I think it's a good, this as a guiding principle, it can also help you um, to avoid Uh, the distractions that are coming at you from all sides all the time. And uh, in my experience, these distractions uh, can be one of the biggest uh, sources of failure uh, for any founder. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, in this context, we also hear a lot, and I wonder if this is probably the more relevant for you, is community-led growth. And if I think about the volunteering community, mm -hmm. um, that can actually be a, a quite powerful thing for you. Absolutely. And if you, for example, if you talk about lever leveraging repeat, word of mouth and uh, a connection to a brand, um, uh, that is pretty helpful, meaning also that product-led growth, it's it works better for some products uh, than for others. Yeah. Which role does design play in your companies? Uh, super important um, because, I mean, for me, this... Should, there should always be user-centered design as a, a starting point for building um, any product hypothesis. And 
or other way around like if we if anything that we do doesn't really play a role in, in improving the user journey um, then it doesn't have a purpose and then we shouldn't do it um, so these design principles are really uh, guiding principles and everything that we do mm -hmm. For the tech companies, um, would you ever recommend them to outsource software development or would you always keep that in-house? Um, yeah, for our tech companies, we also outsource um, parts of the software development. I mean, it always depends a bit on what stage you are in and mm -hmm. what parts of the value chain we're actually talking about. So, for example, now in most of the companies, um, Goldent, Hugo Nature, and Nature Meet, we have some in-house uh, product managers and product owners and also designers, but we outsource the actual development because it gives us more flexibility and also um, a bigger talent pool uh, when we have to get new people for a specific um, task in that area. Growth. If you think about the complete funnel uh, from brand to marketing to sales to custom success, uh, do your companies typically have all these functions? Um, yes, I would say we have them all. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about probably the, the lowest end of the funnel where we get to, to uh, sales and customer success. They would need some element of B2B, but you probably also sometimes sell to retailers or so. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So if, especially if we talk about the e-commerce business, I mean, that's mm -hmm. um, something where sales uh, plays a big role. Yeah. yeah. Also for these marketplace platform businesses, yeah, there are two sides of the platform and one mm -hmm. typically has more of a sales element. Yeah. So if you think about all these and they all basically define your, you could call it growth or commercial or whatever cluster, do you see any of these functions being in the lead? In, in that in that cluster um, yes and uh, I think for me they're all a bit um, interconnected I mean I think it's a bit like having uh, different um, cycles of different sizes with feedback mm -hmm. loops and the biggest cycle which is probably the lead um, would be branding because this is about what we represent to our customers so it changes mm -hmm. not that often and it also gives directions to the other cycles and then marketing and sales um, which are more like medium-sized um, cycles they change more often and they also inf but they also inform the evolution of this bigger branding cycle yeah. so customer successes would be for me like the smallest yeah. proactive thing because it really uh, focuses on making each customer happy and uh, collecting very direct feedback Mm -hmm. Now, they always have to work together, but as they usually are very often, depending on the underlying logic, but they hand over like a lead or a customer, etc., um, that might lead to conflicts. Uh, how can you avoid such conflicts? How can you make sure they don't work in silos, but, but all these commercial or growth functions work together? Yeah, so they have have to be in contact continuously. And there, again, I would say like it helps to have cross-functional project teams and also company-wide OKRs where people have to align uh, beforehand and find solutions together uh, and to apply these methods well you actually you have to create um, continuous uh, transparency for example through 
different exchange formats through data dashboards um, so that anyone in each of the functions can also see what the other hand is doing all the time. But yeah, to be honest, this always requires uh, attention because silos, uh, they tend to appear by themselves sometimes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for very many different reasons. But uh, uh, so you have to make an effort uh, to keep this transparency and exchange uh, a reality in your company. From what you said earlier, I sense that brand is important to you, which is not a given in, in, in your type of, of, of industry or segment, um, where very often people are just after basically like building product and then pr putting performance marketing on it. Um, what's your approach to brand? How, how do you build a brand? Yeah, how do you go about it? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's very important, actually, uh, because uh, it gives us credibility. So mm -hmm. in, as an, in an impact sec sector, you always have to um, show that you also practice what you preach. And there, I would say, like how we approach it or what's what's the most important um, aspect of it. Uh, for me, that's uh, consistency. So uh, we, the thing is, uh, what we also have to keep in mind is that we are always communicating to the outside uh, with everything that we do um, even in situations where we don't really want to communicate and um, that's why for me it's um, not about brand is not about like giving you a nice uh, image on the outside like wrapping you in a nice gift wrapping but um, actually about um, branding it's about who you really are and communicating that that well Yeah, the good old, I think it was Václavík who said, uh, you can't not communicate. Yeah. That's probably the same for brand. <laughs> yes. You always have one. Yeah, okay. people measure you according to every little move. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to be aware of that. Um, moving on to marketing, which marketing channels would you recommend to use and why? And, and which ones do you think are for your segment not relevant? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I think we use many or if not all of them or uh, in, in different uh, intensities, depending on what, what's the actual target group or also depending on what venture we're talking about. So we, we use yeah almost all of the venture we use, like search marketing, SEO, we use um, social media and they're really everything, Insta, TikTok, Pinterest, Meetup, LinkedIn, everything. And that's that's there. A lot of um, uh, direct mailing also and um, marketing using um, influencers and multipliers. And mm -hmm. actually in some areas also a lot of the more old school stuff like uh, telephone uh, marketing uh -huh. sales <laughs> can be useful. And actually when it's about community and moving crowds, then uh, events uh, play yeah. like an enormous role actually. Um, how about performance marketing? Actually, at our event last year, our CMO held a little speech saying performance marketing is dead. What's your opinion on that? Mm, <laughs> I, I didn't listen to that speech. Probably had some uh, some reasons, but I think it's also a bit a pro provocative uh, statement. Of course. <laughs> uh, because I, I don't think so. Because, uh, of course, it has become... Uh, quite a bit harder to come by uh, some data um, over the past uh, 
uh, years, but this is for good reasons. And I think this should just be uh, an incentive for marketers uh, to become more innovative and find yeah. new ways um, to interact with customers and to collect feedback that, that, you, that you can use uh, to build more targeted yeah. marketing approaches. Yeah, and no, of course, it was a provocative uh, a talk, uh, which I think the, the, the two sides that, that put uh, performance marketeers of the past under stress is the walled gardens on one hand and, uh, and, and data privacy on the other hand. And uh, so, but yeah, um, do you, you do have salespeople uh, in your organizations, right? Yes, um, we do. And actually, so as I said in the beginning, sometimes it's like really salespeople that sell product to B2B customers. And sometimes it's like more uh, people who are in a partnerships team, but that yeah. also create one-on-one -on -one collaborations. Yeah. Um, you said it in the beginning, and we hear that a lot here. Uh, what's really hard to find is good, probably to some extent, digital savvy salespeople How or where do you find those? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the uh, questions where I don't have a good answer to because I wish <laughs> I knew that <laughs> if, if you um, have some advice or if you know anyone, please send them my way. Because yeah. it's, it's tough and uh, there would always be more people needed than we can get. Yeah. So what, what we do, to be very honest, um, and, and uh, everybody who listens to that and falls under that pattern, please uh, please reach out to us. Mm -hmm. uh, what we decided at some point is we basically have to build them ourselves. So mm -hmm. what we do at Project A is we uh, hire people fresh from university with, mm -hmm. uh, with, uh, with a great mind um, and with actually no experience. And then we run them through a traineeship because we say this is one of the biggest blind spots of our industries. Mm -hmm. um, which also makes it an amazing opportunity. So um, we basically invest in having a great coach in that field and then we produce them and our portfolio companies can then actually take over these people. But yeah, to just find them on the market, we haven't solved that because it's just really, really hard. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's super interesting. So if you have one too many, uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, okay, <laughs> then we should talk. Data. How does data make your company successful? Yeah, I mean, very basic because this is uh, monitoring data. It's really for us um, the only way um, how we can really tell the difference between us just dreaming about having an impact and actually having an impact. Um, and uh, I would say like, in our sector, a bunch of organizations were stuck in the dream. And um, uh, of course, if you make the move to discover the reality, that always gives you the opportunity to, to learn, uh, to innovate, and to really stay relevant for your target groups. So really create lasting impact. Mm -hmm. If a company has a data team, which functional areas should be supported by them? Which functional areas uh, should actually work with, with data that are gathered? Mm, I mean, in general, uh, for us, all of our teams and functions uh, collect and monitor and use data and uh, take decisions accordingly. I mean, we also have... Um, 
some kind of a more central data team that's mostly uh, it's basically it's part of our product team and it's um, monitors all the user related data and um, that with that it also supports the other key functions that really deal with customers uh, like marketing and sales um, but they again they also have additional sources and uh, collect data wherever they can. Mm -hmm. Probably a little bit uh, theoretic or philosophical, but uh, for me, always interesting. Do you think a data team should um, answer specific questions or should they just go and explore data which are available to find opportunities? Um, I would say both because um, it's <laughs> both uh, useful uh, for different situations purposes. Because first thing, like if it's about um, specific questions and you can really like test specific hypotheses that you use as your best guesses or following this build, measure, learn approach. Um, mm -hmm. But if you um, have more open-ended analysis, uh, uh, it can get you to insights that you we're not even guessing at <laughs> and yeah. that, that can be even more exciting and yeah it ha happened a couple of times um, that you find out things about your customer that you basically didn't uh, have on the radar at all yeah we saw over the last years very much at least that's my impression a focus on the first because uh, focus 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 is like the mm -hmm. holy grail of the startup world but I think really this explorative uh, opportunities and everything that goes in the direction of allowing some serendipity effect and, you know, like get, seeing stuff that you were not searching for, that is, uh, I think I see that as one of the blind spots in our industry. But uh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Hence would, the question. <laughs> I would see that too, because I mean, this, unfortunately, like the second thing, like this open exploration, it's also the first thing that you always cut <laughs> if you don't yeah. have Time, but uh, uh, yeah, it makes you really miss out on uh, opportunities that are not directly ahead of you. Now you have data, you have clearly something that the data recommend and mm -hmm. people also have their gut feeling. How can you make sure they do what the facts, what the data say and don't ignore it? Um, yeah, for that in my experience that's really still like the classical lean startup approach that you mm -hmm. try to discipline yourself a bit in a way that you beforehand you always uh, define certain tests that you do you define deadlines kpis targets and then you also um ex ante you condition what you will do in the future based on certain data outcomes mm -hmm. and then if you still um, uh, contradict these data recommendations um, you yeah, you need a pretty good reason to do that and you will do yeah. it consciously and then maybe it's okay because the, the reason is good enough but basically you decide the next steps uh, before you actually even like look at the results and then You, you try to put some mechanism into that, right? Put it yeah, on rails. I mean, it, it does not always work perfectly. Of course. Of course. But uh, that's, that's the ambition to really try to boil down your decisions to hypothesis. Yeah. Okay. Um, looking a little bit more on the technical side, which tools or data infrastructure do you use or would you recommend to use? Um, yeah, so for us, it's 
it's a combination of different tools. So for collecting, storing, analyzing. So we have uh, basically for most startups some kind of an SQL database, and then we have use at least in some of them we use MetaBase uh, for writing some SQL queries and creating some data collections. We use Google Data Studio as as really for company-wide uh, or team dashboards. Uh, you can really illustrate stuff. Then we have for customer-related uh, stuff, we have CRM tools where you, we can really track. Uh, there we use Monday and HubSpot. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, of course, then there's, in the end, there's uh, Google Sheets for, uh, for everything else and for <laughs> every quick analysis uh, that you need to do. Um, if you look at a data team within an organization, um, where do, would you see them? Like in case you have a date, like a leadership function, who would that person report to? Would you see that in the technical area and marketing or where would you see that? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, reporting, um, actually it should, um, in the end, for me, it's, it's often connected with a product because it has to focus on getting information about our, our customers, but it should also be like pretty close to the top management mm -hmm. and um, needs to have a connection to the lead of every function because they should all take uh, decisions um, based on um, uh, yeah data-driven insights. Mm -hmm. GDPR, is it a struggle or an opportunity? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I would be lying if I uh, would say that <laughs> at least both. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I have to say, like, uh, as a person, I'm super grateful that I mm -hmm. have strong data rights. As a company, it's actually also helpful um, to have some clear guidelines. Uh, but in the end, what makes it a, a struggle or a tragedy is in my opinion, always like the bureaucracy that surrounds it. And um, I don't know, this seems to be like a natural law that uh, whenever um, you have bureaucracy, uh, it cannot be uh, in the same room as user-centered design, or as, at least I have never observed that. And uh, <laughs> it can make it <laughs> quite uh, cumbersome and difficult for, for a company. Environmental, social, and governance. Why did you start actually not one, but a number of ESG companies? Mm -hmm. um, I went in this impact area because uh, for me, um, it's doing something that improves um, the lives of other people. It's, uh, it's actually like the most meaningful thing that uh, we can achieve. And um, of course, there are also different um, ways how you can do that also outside of your job um, that are uh, for sure also equally important. But again, for me, I, I was always afraid to be too much distracted. And uh, mm -hmm. that's why I really want to focus my energy on, on these challenges to society that I see as the most important ones and also where I can see that I can really make a difference. 
Yeah. The next questions I'll ask uh, you for rather the minimum set that young startups should follow because we know startups it's not the easiest they have uh, they have they have a lot of fish to fry actually but still mm -hmm. I think there's a there are some minimum requirements so what would you say is the minimum that every startup should do in order to help our environment um, yeah so given that you are not like uh an impact venture that is focused on environmental sustainability, then I would say um, that you should have sustainability as a guiding principle for process design. So mm -hmm. meaning that you always pay attention to use as little res natural resources as possible, that you never leave a trace wherever you go, and that uh, this is something that is... Um, Yeah, kind of uh, part of the set of values um, and very present uh, to all of your um, uh, employees. How about social? Um, social is, uh, as far as I understand, your company is very much at the core of what you do. Mm -hmm. um, what is the minimum set that that every startup should should follow and and should do? Yeah, I mean, for us, yes, it's. Uh, It's it's a core, and that's why it, it takes uh, quite a, a big chunk, uh, and we always have to react quickly also to uh, big challenges like the war in Ukraine, where we had to orchestrate volunteers and everything yeah. in a short amount of time. But in general, I would say um, uh, being social as an organization, it also means to be fair and respectful in any human interaction that you have, so meaning internally, uh, with uh, among team members or also externally um, with customers and other stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Last but not least, governance. That actually most most founders to whom I talk here uh, struggle to define that. Do you have a take on governance, governance criteria that startups should follow? Um, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I have my own take. I also think that the term is uh, has quite a wide uh, spectrum of interpretations um, mm -hmm. so for me it's very much about participation so mm -hmm. giving people the chance um, to shape the society that we live in for that again for us that is a core thing and i think it's it's a task that we cannot really delegate delegate to uh, politicians uh, by voting every four years but um actually like many of the things that become laws policies things that shape how we live together they they are born out of uh, private initiative and activism and that's why we want to encourage um, such an active role in society and we want to help people um, make the first steps and team up um, to make that happen mm -hmm. thanks um Now, a lot of companies start to have a stronger ESG focus than in the past. Um, and a lot of companies depend on VC money. Um, do you think this focus on ESG rather helps companies if they express it, if they are open about that, if they maybe even build that into the pitch deck? Do you think that rather helps them get funding? Or do you think VCs rather see this as a distraction from revenue maximization? Um, depends also. Because I think in general, um, landscape, as far as I <laughs> uh, know it, um, has uh, 
developed quite a bit. So it's like if you have a smart business models that focus on impact, on ESG impact, um, those are being rewarded more and more. Uh, and that's pretty good. Um, but I think there's also uh, quite a lot of greenwashing or like it's more fuzzy initiatives and feel good packages that uh, people try to put together for investors and uh, not so sure if this really plays a, uh, if that really helps uh, or if it uh, actually um, makes uh, the picture uh, even more blurry. I think it would be good to have more transparent standards there also for startups to to know like what to focus on to be more data driven in that area. And in mm -hmm. the end, you should have like an explanation of um, how you can create good incentives and how you can like internalize external costs of your business. Okay. Um, do you think startups should have an ESG officer or something like that in their organization, like a dedicated person, a dedicated role? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for startups, not so sure. I think... Often appointing officers can also sometimes be um, a way uh, to deal with uh, things that you don't really care enough about to do them yourself. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> still, I think it can make sense probably if, uh, for larger companies or for companies that maybe have a problem with focusing enough on these areas um, because it can help you to create stronger incentives and can help you to create some enforcement systems but then you also really have to be serious about it and you have to give these people these officers enough power um, to actually enforce um, the goals that you set for yourself in that area if you have such a person in your organization where would you put it in the org chart to whom should such a person report Yeah, I mean, if you're serious about it, so if ESG impact, if that's really a success dimension for your company, then I think um, top management should have that as part of their objective function. So mm -hmm. ESG officer should also be a direct report. Okay. The last three questions. Which is the one podcast that all founders should listen to? <laughs> Um, yeah, so <laughs> since everyone who hears this now uh, is obviously already listening to your podcast, um, uh, <laughs> I would say <laughs> um, my other recommendation would be um, Not Boring by Peggy McCormick. Okay, thanks. What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? Um, how do you scale? That's probably one of the most important questions uh, for founders mm -hmm. in the beginning. So I think you should always have a well thought through and also a reasonably specific answer to that question for yourself and also for others and as early on as possible. And um, the second piece of advice, I would say, don't overestimate your own resilience because yes, uh -huh. uh, we all want to be founder superheroes but <laughs> it turns out that we are all human and uh, i think there are also many founder myths um, around that are pretty often like more fabricated stories that leave out some ugly parts and you should not necessarily 
strive to become a myth yourself, but uh, mm -hmm. take care of yourself as, as a human being. <laughs> yeah. Last one. Who are the two other founders? I should ask this set of questions and you can make an introduction for me. Yeah, okay. Uh, two people you should talk to. Um, uh, on the one hand, that should be Leonie Althaus. Um, she founded um, a young startup called uh, Trade that uses AI um, in customs processes to enable international trade. Uh -huh. And um, the second person would be Uh, Fabian Niedbala, very successful founder of um, the coaching platform Sharpest, uh, great B2B business. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. That's it. These were the 42 questions and answers. Thanks so much, Malte. I wish you all the best for you and your endeavors. I'm very much looking forward to the introductions that you just mentioned. <laughs> Thank you. And for you folks, thanks a lot for listening in. We appreciate your interest. If you want to know more about Project A and the stuff we do, both on the investment side as well as uh, getting a lot of operational knowledge. Just go to projecta.com. You'll find videos, podcasts, um, and a lot of other interesting stuff. And for the podcast itself, if you want to hear more of us, please subscribe, rate this podcast, review it, and of course, share it with everybody you know. Thank you and goodbye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.